Fear is a part of everyone's daily existence. It keeps you from doing dumb things, which is good. But it can also prevent you from doing good things. A lot of our fear we don't even notice because it just comes in the form of an anxiety response in your body. But when does fear cross the line into cowardice? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Here's what we need to understand about Jesus' humiliation and exaltation. It's an example for us to follow, but it's not just an example. If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you put your faith in Him, you trust Him more than you trust yourself so that you follow Him in life, then you are actually joined with Him in His suffering and in His exaltation. And that's another reason why this is here in in chapter 2. If the only point here was for this to serve as an example for us to follow in Jesus' steps, it would be kind of hard to relate to. Right? I mean, there's, there's other examples that are a little easier to follow. None of us can really relate to being God and then humbling ourselves to the, to the point of being crucified. Right? It's just like a little out of my realm. And the same thing with exaltation. I mean, we have all desires to be exalted, but not like this. I mean, every being in creation bowing their knee and worshiping. I mean, that's a little bit over the top as far as an example of exaltation that I would want to follow. Even the most extreme megalomaniacs in the world aren't really shooting quite that high. If the only purpose were to give us an example to follow, then I think maybe a little more down-to-earth example would be a little easier to follow. But see, this goes beyond just example. We don't just follow his example in suffering. We participate in his suffering. We saw that at the end of chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1 again, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Now, when we studied that passage a few weeks ago, uh, we found that any suffering that you ever experience as a result of following Christ counts as suffering for Christ. And that suffering is an actual participation in the work, the very work of redemption of mankind. And one of the clearest passages in Scripture that says that is Colossians 1.24. And um, you may want to turn there because if you, this is such an important verse. It's worth seeing with your own eyes in your own Bible. He said, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Now, we talked about that a few weeks ago, but just, just briefly. And I think it's worth looking into a little more detail. Because it's, at first it sounds shocking. What could possibly be lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? I mean, is that saying that he didn't suffer quite enough and uh, I need to pitch in a little bit because he didn't quite pay the price? And, and no, no, absolutely. That is not what it means, because on the cross, what did Jesus say on the cross? He said, it is finished. You know what that means? It means it was finished. Right? It was finished. He didn't have to suffer anymore. Nothing else was required. He didn't have to go into hell for three days and be, you know, suffer. He didn't have to. No more suffering is required. The price was paid. It was done. Hebrews 10, 12 says, when, the, when, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So he, he took a seat. It was done. He did, nothing else was remaining uh, to pay that price. And yet, Paul says something was lacking. Now, what was still lacking? 
And what does it mean for Paul to fill up or to fulfill what was lacking? Well, that that phrase, to to fill up what was still lacking, that's only used one other place in the Bible. Now, go to Philippians 2, verse 30. Philippians 2, that's the only other place in the Bible you have this phrase, to fill up what was lacking. And it tells us what it means. So in Philippians 2.30, he says, Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to, here it is, fulfill what was lacking in your help. So uh, what was lacking in the Philippians' assistance of Paul? Personal delivery. Right? The money, they gathered all this money, but it didn't do Paul any good while it was just sitting in Philippi. The thing that was still lacking was it had to be delivered. And so Epaphroditus did that. He took the money and he delivered it to Paul, face to face, in person. Jesus paid the full price of redemption, completely paid it. That was his, nothing needed to be added to that. But our role is to take what Jesus purchased and deliver it in person with flesh and bone, face to face. And doing that always requires suffering. The gospel cannot be delivered to the unbelieving world without the messengers who carry it suffering. If you, if you want to get the gospel into the ears of somebody who needs it, the price you must pay is suffering. And the same goes for uh, ministry of the gospel within the church, to finish up that ministry. To, uh, if you want to see people grow spiritually, if you want to see them go deeper in loving God and make spiritual progress, the price that you must pay to do that is suffering. You have to suffer. You cannot do ministry without suffering. And when we do that, when we willingly, gladly embrace that suffering, we are participating in the very work of redemption. Nobody can see Jesus suffering for them. They can't see it, but they can see you suffering for them. God's plan was for Christ to purchase it through his suffering and for us to deliver it through our suffering. That's the plan. And that's why he tells us at the end of chapter 1, don't be afraid of opposition, don't be afraid of suffering. This is the the whole plan. And when we understand that, then our suffering in ministry will actually increase our joy instead of stealing our joy. Jesus suffered to purchase grace. We suffer to deliver it to people. That's an astonishing truth because it places you right in the center of the greatest action of all history the work of Jesus on the cross. The power plant that supplies your area, your house, produces an amazing amount of electricity. But what good is it to you without the delivery system, the wires that carry it to your house? We naturally tend to think God is his own delivery system. So if we're faithful or unfaithful, it doesn't really matter because God will just find a way to deliver his grace with or without us. But that's not what the Bible says. And if you doubt that, just think about the smallest level. Suppose my wife is discouraged, but to try to encourage her with the truths of Scripture would be an inconvenience for me. It would take some of my time and a whole lot of mental effort to think through what I would say and that would really lift her spirits in the Lord. Plus, I run the risk of doing all that and maybe she has a negative response or isn't grateful or whatever. And so, in my laziness, I decide I don't want to suffer those inconveniences and potential difficulties, and so I just don't say anything. 
will God just deliver his grace directly to her and encourage her just from her own time alone with him? Well, maybe, maybe not. But even if he does, it won't be grace delivered in person, face to face, from someone that she can see and hear. God wants people to receive his grace directly from him, but he also wants people to receive his grace from a flesh-and-blood person who can put a physical arm around them and share tears with them and listen to them and pray out loud for them. There are certain forms of God's grace that God wants to be delivered personally from a human being. And if I choose not to deliver that grace to my wife, she just doesn't get it. Will another person show up and encourage her? Maybe. But even then, that won't be the form of grace God designed to be delivered through my spiritual gifts. The kind of grace God dispenses only through my gifts can only be delivered by me. Everyone's gifts are unique. If I'm not faithful to do it, it won't happen. So ask yourself, is there any grace that's being held up and is going undelivered because of your fear of suffering. Even if it's just the minor suffering of inconvenience, is there a ministry you could be doing in church, a friend you could encourage, people at work that could hear the good news about Christ, a family member who's going unencouraged because of your fear of discomfort? Father, Forgive me for my cowardice. So many of your servants through the ages didn't back down from threats of torture or being burned alive. And so often I shrink back from minor discomfort. I'm afraid of being uncomfortable. Afraid of losing some of my precious time. Afraid of being looked down on or belittled or rejected by certain people. I'm afraid of anything hard. And so I just sit on my hands in times when I could be distributing your grace to people. Lord, give your servant courage. Help me notice those moments when I'm holding back from doing good just because of fear of discomfort. The cowardly, who do not repent of their cowardice, will be thrown into the lake of fire. But there's no reason for me to fall into the sin of cowardice because of your great and precious promises. Fill me with courage, Lord, from those promises. You are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You are the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the evil one advances against me to devour my flesh, he will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident, as long as I can dwell in your house and be near your presence all the days of my life to gaze upon your beauty and seek you in your house. Then, when the day of trouble comes, you will keep me safe in your dwelling. You will hide me in the shelter of your tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted and I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing 
and make music to you. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. O God, my Savior, I know you won't because you never have. Though my father and mother forsake me, you will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me. I'm confident of this. I will see your goodness in the land of the living. I will wait for you, O Lord. I will be strong and take heart and wait for you. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.